Part 1 of The Machine That Saved the World by Murray Leinster. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Peter Kuhn. The first broadcast came in 1972, while Mahan modified machines were still strictly classified, and the world had only heard rumors about them. The first broadcast was picked up by a television ham in Osceola, Florida, who fumingly reported artificial interference on the amateur TV bands. He heard and taped it for ten minutes, so he said, before it blew out his receiver. When he replaced the broken element, the broadcast was gone. But the Communications Commission looked at and listened to the tape and practically went through the ceiling. It stationed a monitor truck in Osceola for months, listening feverishly to nothing. Then for a long while there were rumors of broadcasts which blew out receiving apparatus, but nothing definite. Weird patterns appeared on screens, high-pitched or deep bass notes sounded, and the receiver went out of operation. After the ham operator in Osceola, nobody else got more than a second or two of the weird interference before blowing his set during six very full minutes of CC agitation. Then a TV station in Seattle abruptly broadcast interference superimposed on its regular network program. The screens of all sets tuned to that program suddenly showed exotic, curiously curved, meaningless patterns on top of a commercial spectacular broadcast. At the same time, incredible chirping noises came from the speakers, alternating with deep bass hootings, which spoiled the juju music of the most expensive juju band on the air. The interference ended only with a minor breakdown in the transmitting station. It was the same sort of interference that the Communications Commission had thrown fits about in Washington. It threw further fits now. A month later, a vision phone circuit between Chicago and Los Angeles was unusable for ten minutes. The same meaningless picture pattern and the same preposterous noises came on and monopolized the line. It ceased when a repeater tube went out and a parallel circuit took over. Again, frantic agitation displayed by high authority. Then the interference began to appear more frequently, though still capriciously. Once, a presidential broadcast was confused by interference apparently originating in the White House, and again a three-way top-secret conference between the commanding officers of three military departments ceased, when the unhuman-sounding noises in the scrambled picture pattern inserted itself into the closed-circuit discussion. The conference broke up amid consternation. For one reason, military circuits were supposed to be interference-proof. For another, that if interference could be spotted to this circuit or this receiver, it was likely this circuit or that receiver could be tapped. For a third reason, the broadcasts were dynamite. As received, they were badly scrambled, but they could be straightened out. Even the first one, from Osceola, was cleaned up and understood, enough so to make top authority tear its hair and allow only fully cleared scientific consultants in on the thing. The content of the broadcast was kept considerably more secret than the existence of Mahan units and what they could do. And Mahan units were brand new then, 
and being worked with only at one research installation in the United States. The broadcasts were not so closely confined. The same wriggly patterns and alien noises were picked up in Montevideo, in Australia, in Panama City, and in grimly embattled England. All the newspapers discussed them without ever suspecting that they had been translated into plain speech. They were featured as freak news, and each new account mentioned that broadcast reception had ended with a breakdown of the receiving apparatus. Guarded messages passed among the high authorities of the nations that picked up the stuff. A cautious inquiry went even to the compubs. The Union of Communist Republics answered characteristically. It asked a question about Mahan units. There were rumors, it said, about a new principle of machine control lately developed in the United States. It was said that machines equipped with the new units did not wear out, that they exercised seeming intelligence at their tasks, and that they promised to end the enormous drain on natural resources caused by the wearing out and using up of standard-type machinery. The Compub Information Office offered to trade data on the broadcasts for data about the new Mahan modified machines. It hinted at extremely important revelations it could make. The rest of the world deduced astutely that the Compubs were scared too, and they were correct. Then, quite suddenly, a break came. All previous broadcast receptions had ended with the breakdown of the receiving instrument. Now, a communicator named Betsy modified in the Mahan matter and at work in the research installation working with the Mahan modified devices, began to pick up the broadcast consistently, keeping each one on its screen until it ended. Day after day, at highly irregular intervals, Betsy's screen lighted up and showed the weird patterns, and her loudspeakers emitted the peepings and chirps and deep bass hootings of the broadcasts and the high brass went into a dither to end all dithers as tapes of the received material reached the Pentagon and were translated into intelligible speech and pictures. This is when Metech Sergeant Belouz, in charge of the rehab shop at Research Installation 83, came into the affair. Specifically, he entered the picture when a young second lieutenant came to the shop to fetch him to communications center in that post. The lieutenant was young and tall and very military. Sergeant Belouz was not. So he snorted upon receipt of the message. He was at work on a vacuum cleaner at the moment, a Mahan modified machine with a flickering yellow standby light that wavered between brightness and dimness with much more appropriate frequency. The rehabilitation shop was where Mahan modified machines were brought back to usefulness when somebody messed them up. Two or three machines, an electric ironer for one, operated slowly and hesitantly. That was occupational therapy. A washing machine churned briskly, which was convalescence. Others, ranging from fire control computers to teletypes and automatic lathes, simply waited with their standby lights flickering meditatively, according to the manner and custom of Mahan modified machines. They were ready for duty again. The young lieutenant was politely urgent. But I've been there, protested Sergeant Belouz. I checked. It's a communicator I named Betsy. She's all right. She's been mishandled by the kind of half-wits communication has around, 
but she's a good, well-balanced, experienced machine. If she's turning out broadcast, it's because they're coming in. She's all right. I know, said the young lieutenant soothingly. His uniform and his manners were beautiful to behold. But the colonel wants you there for a conference. I got a communicator in the shop here, said Sergeant Ballou suspiciously. Why don't he call me? Because he wants to try some new adjustments on uh, Betsy, Sergeant. You have a way with Mahan machines. They'll do things for you they won't do for anybody else. Sergeant Belouz snorted again. He knew he was being buttered up, but he'd asked for it. He even insisted on it for the glory of the Metallurgical Technicians' Corps. The big brass tended to regard Metax as in some fashion successors to the long-vanished veterinary surgeons of the Farrier's Corps, when horses were a part of the armed forces. Mahan modified machines were new, very new, but the top brass naturally remembered everything faintly analogous and applied it all wrong. So Sergeant Belouz conducted a one-man campaign to establish the dignity of his profession. But nobody without special metech training ought to tink with a Mahan modified machine. If he's going to fool with Betsy, said the sergeant bitterly, I guess I got to go and boss the job. He pressed a button on his work table. The vacuum cleaner's standby light calmed down. The button provided soothing sub-threshold stimuli to Mahan unit, not quite giving it the illusion of operating perfectly, if a Mahan unit could be said to be capable of illusion, but maintaining it in the rest condition which was the foundation of Mahan unit operation, since a Mahan machine must never be turned off. The lieutenant started out of the door. Sergeant Belouz followed at leisure. He painstakingly avoided ever walking the regulation two paces behind a commissioned officer. Either he walked side by side, chatting, or he walked alone. Wise officers let him get away with it. Reaching the open air a good twenty yards behind the lieutenant, he cocked an approving eye at a police unit at work on the lawn outside. Only a couple of weeks before, that unit had been in a bad way. It stopped and shivered when it encountered an unfamiliar object. But now it rolled across the grass from one path to another. When it reached the second path, it stopped, briskly moved itself its own width sideways, and rolled back. On the way, it competently manicured the lawn. It picked up leaves, retrieved a stray cigarette butt, and snapped up a scrap of brown paper from somewhere. Its tactile units touched a new planted shrub, it delicately circled the shrub and went on upon its proper course. Once, where the grass grew taller than elsewhere, it stopped and whirred, trimming the growth back to regulation height. Then it went on about its business as before. Sergeant Belouz felt a warm sensation. That was a good machine that had been in a bad way, and he'd brought it back to normal, happy operation. The sergeant was pleased. End of Section 1